0: Listen, we're gonna start talking about finances today. Look at your neighbor, go ahead and just tell him to breathe easy. He's not gonna tell you what kind of house you should buy, not gonna tell you what kind of car you should own. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, So just settle down. Like I know your friends, you invited me to church when he's talking about money, how dare you? It's gonna be fine. Uh, We want people to be free from the burden of worrying about money, amen? So we're going to walk through the next month or so on that. But I'm excited about Connect Groups. If you haven't signed up yet, go ahead and do that. And we're going to learn together in this season. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read from Matthew chapter 19. And um, we're calling this Freedom, this sermon series. I, I'm busting it up in, in a couple different Things we're going to talk about mentality of money for a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about managing money for a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about momentum with money for a couple of weeks. How many of you like to get a little bit of momentum with your money? Doesn't that sound good? So that's kind of my thought process walking through this. And listen, look, I, I believe if you're a child of God, there is no condemnation. Now, we talked about that last week. If there's some guilt in your life because of sin, that should drive you straight to the cross then when you get forgiveness for it, there's no condemnation after that. Amen? So if God forgave you, forgive yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, forgive yourself. God forgave you. He went to the cross for that. You have no right to hold that against yourself. So you're not going to get a bunch of condemnation from me. We're going to walk through this together, become better at the end of it. Amen? Matthew chapter 19, they still make paper Bibles. You can read it from the screen. You can go to the Bible app and find it. You can go to our, to our app on the app store or Google play and find the notes there as well. Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16, say amen. If you're ready and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why don't you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, "If if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. When the young man heard this, He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Father, we just thank you today. You literally came to set us free, not moment by moment, but to live a free life for eternity. You said, if the son set us free, we're free indeed. So I pray that you do that today. Every area of our life, Lord, set us free, renew our minds today. Change how we think and in turn change what we do. And we pray that we would bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. This is the story of the rich young ruler Jesus has an encounter with. We're reading Matthew's version of it in the book of Mark and Luke in the New Testament. The three of those books together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. And in order to get to the place where you can call a man a rich young ruler, you have to read all three of those accounts. If you just read Matthew, you won't find out that he's a rich young ruler. You'll find out one aspect of that. If you just read Mark, you won't see that whole thing. If you read Luke, you won't see that whole thing. But by combining all of those together, you find out that he's young, that he's got wealth, and that he's part of the ruling class. Scholars think he may he may have been a Pharisee because when we get to the place where Jesus, where he says, what commandments do I have to follow? And Jesus says, well, follow these. He says, I've done all that. If you fast forward in the life of Paul, Paul kind of makes the same statement when he's bragging a little bit about who he was and the suffering he'd walked through. He said, as to the keeping the law, I've been perfect. It's a, it's a pharisaical idea. That, hey, I've kept all the rules. So one of the Gospels records him, this young man coming up to Jesus and kneeling down. I think Luke records him kneeling down in front of Jesus and saying, good teacher, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus plays along with this conversation because if you've been coming here any length of time, you know we've had the discussion several times about how up to Jesus... The nation of Israel, Jews in particular, believed that the law governed them. The law that God handed down to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the explanations that they, that they in turn came along with that governed their life, and that there was a requirement that you should obey them perfectly. Now the law wasn't here, didn't come to save us, it came to reveal that we needed a savior. How many, how many of you know if there's laws... It's an indication that you will one day break them. Amen. So, all you rule followers out there, go a little easier on yourself. I don't like following rules, therefore, I don't make rules. You could talk to any of the leadership staff here. I'm like somebody like, we need to make a rule. No, settle down. So we don't want to make a rule. The pastor's going to break. We need to settle down on this rule making thing. You'll hear me say, I don't think Jesus didn't make a bunch of rules. He cast a lot of vision. When somebody said, hey, should we do this? He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. I'm going to show you what you need to ascend to, not which rule to keep. Because Paul would write later on that it's not by works in case we would have the opportunity to boast. It's not by what you do. You're not saved by just being perfect or we'd be able to stand up and brag about it. He said it's through it's through faith in Christ, through the grace that God has given us. And so we can't, it's not by what we do, so we can't brag about it. Now, if you're not careful, you'll think Jesus is engaging this man in that conversation, saying that he can be saved by the very thing he came to fulfill. Because it looks like Jesus is going along with it. What must I do To inherit eternal life. Now you have to remember. When this young guy comes up to Jesus. And kneels down in front of him. He does not inherently believe Jesus is the Messiah. He did not walk up to Jesus and say. Jesus son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Tell me how I should be saved. That wasn't his premise. So he walked up with a Jewish context. I'm under the law. I've been pretty good at keeping it. But you find out. Deep inside of him, he thinks there's something missing. Or he wouldn't have asked the next question. He wouldn't have kept inquiring. Can can I say this? There have been times in my life where people are saying, hey man, that was really good. I don't ask any more questions. Because I don't want to know anything else. Anybody else like that? Hey, how'd you think that was? That was really good. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna go along with really good. There was something eating at this young guy that he would say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Which ones? This is what he lists about five of them. He adds in there, treat your neighbor pretty good. You notice he didn't say, don't have any other idols before me. He might have got the guy on that one. He does the obvious ones. The ones that you and I could probably say, yeah, we've been perfect in that. So the young guy goes, "Hey, I've been really good at those things. I've been perfect since I was a kid." But then the nagging thing in him keeps the conversation going. What what am I missing? What am I missing? Jesus looks at him and says, "Um, if you want to be perfect, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Look at your neighbor right now and say, settle down. He's not going to tell you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Just look at him right now. Get, Get him calm. Might be their first time here. The last time they went to church, it was about sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I'm not going to do that right now. I think where churches get sideways is when they tell you what to do with your money instead of who to honor it with. I'm not Jesus. Now, if you go to sleep tonight and you have a vision of the risen Savior and he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, I ain't gonna argue with that. That's between you and God. But he hasn't given me that word for you. I told the first service. I don't know if I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor because I don't want you moving in with me. <laughs> like, I want you to keep a little bit, at least some place to live. So, I think there's something going on here with this guy. There's a psychological term, um, uh, a theory um, that's called compartmentalization. And it's really good in some areas, really bad in other areas. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I'll just read you the definition of it. Compartmentalization. Psychologic psychology today defines compartmentalization as this. It's a defense mechanism in which people mentally separate conflicting thoughts, emotions, or experiences to avoid the discomfort of contradiction. Okay. A defense mechanism in which people mentally separate conflicting thoughts, emotions, or experiences to avoid the discomfort of contradiction. So, common examples of this in the workplace include jobs that are extremely stressful, combat, first responders, people like that, police officers, nurses on the front lines. All these people are dealing with a massive amount of stress in their life. A lot of times they're dealing with evil, they're dealing with hurt. They're dealing with pain and suffering. They're dealing with these at a, at a giant level. But then they have to go home and care for their kids. Amen? They have to go home and function with their husbands and wives and they have to go home and function with their family and they have to still be able to pay the bills and mow the grass and do all these things. So what happens is our bodies were created with a mechanism to be able to compartmentalize things, to be able to say, okay, this was a really unbelievable, difficult thing over here. And I saw tragedy and pain and I saw hate and anger and all and violence and all this stuff. But that doesn't apply to the people over here. Everybody understand it's, that's a defense mechanism. The problem is we end up applying that to all kinds of things in our lives. And there's nothing worse than using the wrong tool on a job. Nothing worse. So what happens is you compartmentalize in really stressful areas to be able to deal with other things in your life because they're conflicting thoughts. How can there be this much evil and this much good? So I'm going to have to kind of separate those things so I can go home and function around my family. That's a defense mechanism we have. It's not meant to be in place in your relationship with God. So I believe the rich young ruler is suffering from a deep, dark case of compartmentalization. I'll tell you why. He initiates the conversation with Jesus, not Jesus with him. This wasn't Jesus walking around going, Hey, um, pick on somebody today. We're going to make them feel inferior. You. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. How have you been doing a following the law thing? Oh man, I've been pretty good at it. Really? Really? You want me to poke around a little bit? No, this guy actually comes to Jesus pretty confident in the compartments that he's going to reveal to him. Pretty confident. So he walks up to Jesus. I think Luke records, he kneels down in front of him and says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus plays along with the mindset and says, obey the commandments. He says, which ones? Do this, 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 and this. And the guy says, yeah. Yeah. Not realizing that he had excluded a whole compartment of his life. This guy had authority and wealth. I'm going to just leave that over here and act like it's not an issue. And I'm going to come back to Jesus and tell him how good I've been. The mistake he makes is asking Jesus for another examination. I'm going to tell you something. If I go to the doctor once and he tells me I'm good, I ain't going back. (laughs) Hey, doc, are you sure about that? Why don't you just run another test? (laughs) Nope. You said I was good. So he, there's something deep down in this young man that makes him inherently believe that it wasn't the whole story, but he wasn't willing to just offer it up. I've been doing this a little while. This happens a lot in counseling. <laughs> I've done a decent amount of weddings, and I have a requirement. Hopefully this will discourage you. I have a requirement that you have to meet with me at least six times before you get married. I want to poke around in the relationship a little bit. We're going to talk about stuff that you, you know, that when the butterflies are present, you don't talk about. So we're going to have those conversations, but a counselor is only as good as what you tell him. And at the beginning, I was pretty naive to things. I thought people would just come in and be honest because I'm the pastor. (laughs) So I would sit with people for six weeks, like an hour, hour and a half at a time. And I would think, man, I know everything about them. A year later, they would call me and say, hey, we're getting a divorce. And I would say, well, are you, what? Well, blah, 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 blah. So you never said anything about that. We didn't think it was an issue. Yeah. How's that working for you, Dr. Phil? We didn't think it was an issue. You know what they did? They compartmentalized the part that they didn't want me to find out about, which ended up ruining the relationship. It ended up ruining the thing that they were trying to establish because they had compartmentalized their lives. And they said, you know what? We're going to tell them this part about our relationship, but not this one over here. Well, I can only work with what you give me. And my wife will tell you right now, I don't pick up on cues very well. (laughs) Were you blinking when you just said that? Were you? Did your eye twitch? I think your husband's lying. Uh, four years ago, I think I went to the doctor. I was I was uh, preparing for a trip to go to Kenya, and I like you need malaria medication and cipro and those type of things. And so uh, I go, uh, I'm thinking I'm just going to call him. And I, and I said, uh, so I pick up the phone, call the the doctor that my wife and kids had been going to, not me. Uh, I pick up the phone. And I said, hey, I'd like to see if the doc could give me some malaria and, uh, I'm getting ready to go to Kenya. I just want a, some malaria pills and some Cipro. If you can just make that happen. They said, you're going to have to come in for an appointment. And I'm like, not really. It's just malaria and Cipro. Why do we got to go through this whole conversation thing? And they said, no, you're really going to have to come in and get an appointment. So I go and have an appointment and he's going down. I tell him the whole story. Hey, I'm getting ready to travel. I usually go to the health department, which I'm going to start doing again because they don't ask me as many questions as you do. So, um, he uh, asked me how things are going, and I was, a, I was a little heavier than I am now, and I'd you know, gained some weight. He was starting to notice that. I'm like, I didn't know we were going to be judgmental. Um, so I'm there for this reason. I'm really good at this compartmental. I'm there. This is why I'm here. And he said, uh, hey, I'd like to run a blood test on you. I was 40 years old. I'm like, what, to have a standard? To judge everybody by, like why do you want my blood? like what are you going to find? You know how you get the man, i feel good what do you wanna, what do you want to poke around for? By the way, that's the um that's how most marriages end up going off the cliff when you feel good and stop poking around. Just shut off areas of your life you don't talk about them anymore. Cause it feels good for the moment. So the, um, so no, we're going to run a blood test. I I'm not going to give you anything till you go get a blood test. I'm like, Oh, now you're holding me hostage. Okay. So I go get a blood test. I come back. I gotta be honest with you. I like, I knew I had put my eating habits in a box and there was no chance. I was talking to him about it. And my wife will tell you I drink four or five Dunkin' Donuts, large sweet teas in a day. Um, I would eat four bowls of Lucky Charms before I go to bed. I still have a box of marshmallow-only Lucky Charms in my pantry right now. But I'm being disciplined, in the name of Jesus. So he, um, I'm 40 years old, so he he pulls out the blood report and he says, this ain't good, man. He said, "Your, uh, your cholesterol is high triglycerides are through the roof. Every, everything on this thing is wrong. And um, he said, I'm going to put you on some medication. I said, no, you're not either. I'm not, I'm not taking it. I literally looked at him and said, I'm not taking it. And uh, he said, well, I'm taking the same dose. And I thought, I don't want to be like you. I get to pick who I look up to. You can't force that on me. <laughs> I mean, honest." And so I, I thought, well, I don't, no, I'm not. I think I control it my diet. And he's like, man, it rarely, can, rarely happens like that. And I said, you have no idea how much Lucky Charms I eat. <laughs> when we compartmentalize things in our lives, we put them in a box, shut the lid, and that's the last area that gets healed. Now, a doctor not as good as the one I'm going to may have just given me malaria medication and Cipro and I would have went on my merry way eating four bowls of Lucky Charms every night thinking I can beat this thing. But he was willing to poke around a little bit in an area that wasn't comfortable to me. In an area that he knew I was going to argue with him. In an area that he, he knew look, this 40-year-old guy looks like he's in decent shape, is going to argue with me about cholesterol medication. And I did. I said, look, I've read two studies. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. I don't know where you got your degree, but I read two studies. And the problem was, he told me, he said, I actually don't disagree with you on the cholesterol thing. But he said, you're going to be a diabetic. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know uh, about I don't want that to happen. So um, I compartmentalize this thing. I, like, like I didn't, I wasn't going to talk to him about that. I didn't like his solution. I didn't like anything he was coming up with. Now uh, You can't have any more carbs and you can't do this. You can't do that. The rich young ruler walks up to Jesus and he's asking him a couple questions and then Jesus pops into the box he wasn't planning on. Jesus walks into the finance box. You know, a lot of a lot of people preach that this guy was greedy and all this stuff. I just think it was an area of, area of his life he had never thought about surrendering. An area of his life that he had never thought about giving God control over in areas of, of his life that maybe the Pharisees that he was hanging around all had the same mentality about it, like lucky charms is fine. And so he had never considered how he handled what he had as an issue god would even be upset about or or have anything to say about he he it doesn't seem like he ever even considered it because when jesus said hey keep the commandments and i'm going to list them out for you he says yeah i've done all that but there's something missing when jesus puts his finger on the thing that was missing it's like it caught him totally off guard how could you tell me that, how could you tell me finances were the thing Finances are a spiritual thing. Berkeley Springs is cheering. Hedgesville is dead silent. <laughs> finances are a spiritual thing. As spiritual people wrestling with sin every day, we have a tendency to compartmentalize areas of our life that we don't want God to touch. And, so, and a lot of times finances is one of those things. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God. Maybe to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, watch this. Paul. Paul is writing this, and he's saying, Listen, our Spiritual act of worship is to offer ourselves. Now, I know it says bodies, but there's no part of Paul that's saying, just offer your body. Think about whatever you want to think about. Just offer your body. How, how does that even happen? But you wake up in the morning, lay in bed, Lord, the body's yours. But I'm going to think about whatever I want to think about. No, that comment from Paul, he's saying, Offer all of yourself, your body, your emotions, your your mind, your will, everything about you. Offer it all to God with no compartmentalization. See, too many of us treat God like a doctor we're going to to get healed of the thing we don't like but keep the thing that we like from him. We walk into the doctor's office and we go, I need some malaria medication and some CIPRO because I'm going out of the country. And he says, Okay, what about that? No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. I know how it works with counseling in, in married couples. Here's what you do we have a predetermined outcome that we want. Come on. We have a predetermined outcome we want. So when we go into the counselor, we say, it's all her fault. And I'm going to spend the next hour showing you how I'm right. And as soon as the counselor goes, hey, what about that thing? You know what happens? (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll refer people to counseling because I ain't got that much patience. I say, if we can meet two or three times and I can give you four steps, and if that doesn't work, I need to send you to somebody that knows what they're doing. So I'll send people. I'll refer people to somebody that I trust and have had great success with. And inevitably, I'll have somebody come back and go, he didn't know what he was talking about. That was awful. That's funny. Because the last 10 people I sent had a great experience. And here's what I realized. They went in for the predetermined idea about the result and they boxed up the thing that they want to talk about. And when the counselor went, hey, why don't we pop the lid on that? They went, oh, you're attacking me. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, offer everything. Offer everything. Pop the lid on every box. Don't be, don't be a Christian that goes, here God, I'll give you my Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is my stuff. Lord, when I'm hanging around my church friends, I'll give you that, but when I'm not hanging around my church friends, that's a different box. When, I, when the pastor's in the room, can we just be honest with each other? You know how awkward that makes me feel? I'm not the doctor. I'm not gonna poke you. You don't have to act different around me. It's like the pastor's coming. No lie, I had a person at a hospital 20 years ago walked outside. That's when people were ashamed of smoking. Now they're like, Hey, pastor, you want to draw on this? (laughs) No lie. 20 years ago, I walk out of a hospital and somebody that used to attend our church was standing out front and they, and they went, (laughs) your back is on fire. (laughs) You want me to call somebody? It's my church box, my pastor box, my Jesus box. But there's this part of my life that I don't even let mingle. I don't even let it get over into that. When I read the scripture, it applies to this, this, and this. None of this over here will I apply scripture to. Because matter of fact, the the relationship is so difficult that if I submitted my whole life to God, I'd be afraid to lose a little control over it. the way my finances work right now, if I submitted any of it to God, then then, then I would lose control over it. And I don't really like the way that feels. So I'm gonna just keep this thing boxed up over here and the Lord can look at all of this, but none of this. Come on, anybody relate to that? So what happens is Jesus runs one more diagnostic test. Don't you hate that? The problem is the young man didn't even know what he was doing when he asked. He inadvertently opened the box himself. He literally says, I've done all those things. There's something missing. What else should I do? Mm. And Jesus went, oh, 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 you want that test? Okay. Oh, you want that test? Okay. All right, buster, you want that test? All right, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to run that test now. That area that you didn't want me poking around in, we're going to run that test now and we're going to figure out. I didn't do that first service. <laughs> so um, he looks at him and he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Like I was shocked. Man, that's the one area I didn't think we were going to talk about. I, when I read the Ten Commandments, I didn't read nothing about giving up everything I had, giving it to the poor. That's not in there. If you want to be perfect, put all your faith in me and nothing else. And let me have access to every area of your life. Now, now watch. Paul later on says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that you can re, that renew your mind. Don't think like the world, but renew your mind. And then you can test, you see how, then you can run the test to see what God's will is, His good and perfect will in your life. And so what happens is, as long as there's a box that we're not willing to submit, there's no way to be 100% confident that you're in the perfect will of God. But Paul says that you can actually test and see how it is. You know how you test? Go into every box you have, open the lid, and submit it to God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Go into every box in your life. Lord, there's the money box. There's the Lucky Charms box. There's the white box. There's the kids box. There's the work box. There's a hobby box. There's a I got an addiction to tools box. There's all these things. Lord, I'm going to just open them up right now. You can put the gloves away. I'm going to just open them up right now. I'm going to give them all to you. And when I do that, I can determine what your perfect will is. Because I need you to lean in for a second, church. The Bible is not about bondage, it's about freedom. And too many times when the church talks about money, they actually heap more bondage on you because the church sets up the rules and regulations about where you should live, what kind of car you should buy, how big your house should be, and who you should give your money to, and all these things. And before you know it, you're all locked up going, well, now my house is too big. I remember reading books years ago and looking at my wife and going, is our deck too big? I'm not kidding. Do you remember that? Like walking out, I was like, our deck is almost 50 foot long. I know. And I thought, did I build too big of a deck? Do you think God is looking down going, shame on you for building a deck that big. (laughs) How did we end up there? How did we end up there? All God said was, Open up every box to me and submit it to me, and then you can run the test of what my perfect will is for your life. And you know what that means for you and me? Freedom, not bondage. Jesus said himself that he didn't come for the for the people who weren't sick. He came for the people who were sick. So he's the doctor walking into the room saying, hey, listen, if we're going to clean this health thing up, if we're going to clean this spiritual health thing up, we need to open up every box. We need to run every test and then you can be free. But if you keep the lid shut, worry and anxiety and burden will be your future. How do I know that? Young man hears it. And at the sound of Jesus's voice saying, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, most people in the United States will look at that statement as giving something up and they don't see the opportunity built into that statement. That wasn't a give up statement. That was a come follow me statement. The son of God himself standing in front of you, soliciting you to follow him. Have we missed it? Jesus himself standing in front of you going, hey, listen, if you would offer it all up to me, the sacrifice of praise, all up to me and come follow me. How did the church turn that into a sacrifice? How did the church turn that into, woe is me, I had to give up all of this. How did we turn it into a negative when the son of God himself says, I want you to follow me. My God, how did we turn that upside down? Think about the most wealthy person on the earth walking up, banging on your door at the moment. You come home from church, You've been worried about money, you've been worried about this, worried about that, worried about all these things, knocking on your door and saying, I've got the answer to everything, and I'm willing to give it to you today. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn everything over to me. I'm worth, I don't know, $450 billion. I think I can handle it. And you come back to me the next week at church and say, hey, Jeff Bezos showed up to my house to offer me an exchange that he could handle my finances if I turn them over to him. And I went, oh, I couldn't do that. We're still waiting to see how this Amazon thing shakes out. (laughs) But we do that to the son of God all the time. This man is standing in front of the savior of the world who just gets an invitation to follow him. And he goes, oh, you opened up the wrong box, Jesus. I wasn't ready to talk about that one today. The Bible says he goes away sad. Now I'm going to leave you with some encouragement this morning. I went to when I went to the doctor, he gave me those, you know. I did the blood test. It came back, and he said, "Chris is bad, man. Your triglycerides are off the chart. Cholesterol is high. All, all your numbers are upside down. Your 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 LDL and HDL and all that, they're inversed and the ratio's wrong. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give this up and start doing this. Now, anybody else had a diagnosis like that? Walking to the doctor. What is the first thing you do? You go, how much ice cream could I eat on this and get away with it without him figuring it out? That is the question I want to ask you right now. What, what amount of lucky charms at night can I get away with? What amount of control can I have over here versus surrendering out all to you? You know what he told me? You're on a 30 carbs a day diet. I realized a banana was 27 <laughs> and that my life was over as I knew it. <laughs> Anybody else been on one of those? He said, you're going to be a diabetic, man. You got to cut this stuff out. I said, wow, eat fruit. He said, don't do that. So your body's processing all this stuff the same way. He said, a banana's 27 carbs. I said, well, it looks like me and water are going to get real familiar. I didn't realize he was inviting me to an invitation to be free. Two months later, I came back. I'd lost 25 pounds. He looked at me and said, what have you been doing? I said, what you told me. Can I tell you this? Jesus will never look back to you after you've offered him the sacrifice of all your boxes and say, what have you been doing? He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. It won't be a shock in how the stress in your life goes down. It won't be a shock how the anxiety goes away. It won't be a shock to him. He'll say, I told you from the beginning, I was here to set you free. And if I've set you free, you're free indeed. He said, if you will unlock all the boxes and offer them up to him, freedom is on the other side. My numbers were perfect. Man, I walked out of that thing with my chest stuck out. I told you I wasn't taking that pill. I wonder how many of you today boxed up the finance thing and you've been struggling with it for years and you're just worried about letting God have a say in it. Can I be transparent with you? It's not really just you, it's everybody watching online, whoever's gonna watch this later. I, I had a conversation with a, a great guy that goes to church here about a year ago. And he said, Chris, I think we need to do this. I wanna see people get free financially. And he was giving me all, I said, man, I think that's a good idea. My wife and I went through Financial Peace University 12, 15 years ago. We did the whole Dave Ramsey thing. We, we, we stopped using, I mean, we got debt free. All I had was a, I had my house payment, had a rental property and, and, a, and another, that's it. I didn't have any credit cards, no, no, uh, no, no car payments, nothing. It was freeing. It was freeing. Uh, about seven and a half years ago, we bought a business. We got some business debt still don't have any credit cards I'll be honest we got one car payment but we're not we're not doing the Dave Ramsey budget every dime thing now (laughs) and I had boxed that thing up because I like tools and I thought you know what I'm being generous when I decide to be generous did you hear the qualification on that when I saw the opportunity, I was like, yeah, man, we're going to be generous. We're going to be generous. And I kind of boxed that thing up. And the idea of going back and doing a budget, just, I mean, the anxiety just rolled up in me. I thought for a second, you know what, Lord? This has become an area of my life again where I haven't, we're going to we're, we're have to do a little examination. I'm not, we're not financially unstable. We're not, not up over our heads of credit card bills, but it was an area in my life where I had to say, you know God, I haven't let you poke around in that a lot lately. We adopted a kid from compassion. Leave us alone. I just haven't let him mess around in that box lately. And I thought, if I'm going to offer everything I have to, my whole self is going to include that box. And I have to realize that it's not me giving stuff away; it's an invitation from you to be free. It's an invitation, and I want a church that doesn't walk away like a like the young guy. I want to. I want us to be a church that that recognizing that God's inviting us in to be free, free from all anxiety, free from all guilt, free from all condemnation, free, live a really free life, and lay your head down at night confident about your finances and wake up in the morning, just as confident. Amen. Come on. Why don't you stand up? We are going to walk through this process together. I want you to have confidence this morning that when you gather together as a church, this isn't going to be a brow beating session. This is going to be a, Hey, we're moving in this. We're moving in this direction of freedom together. That's it. God wants you to be free in every area of your life. And he sent his Holy Spirit here to make it happen. And I am thankful for that. I am thankful for that. And I am praying and thanking God for the stories that are to come out of this. That you let God do a little inspection in every area of your life, but not just by every area of your life. And after a couple weeks going, man, I didn't realize I could be that free. I didn't realize I could not worry. I didn't realize I could not have anxiety over this. I didn't realize I could be that free in these areas of my life. Amen. Amen. Does that sound good? Come on, why don't you give him praise and honor one more time? Sing this out. He wants to make you free.